0: It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. I wrote one yesterday I thought was pretty challenging. If you haven't read that, I encourage you to do so. I am convinced uh, that to say we want more is not sufficient. We have to prove it. The proof of desire is pursuit, and we prove how much we really want of God by how we act and what we do, and so we are about pursuing Him here. I started a series last week. Um, I I told you the last two series, the the one prior, Farmville, and now this one, uh, haven't been what you would call edifying as far as making you f- feel like you're perfect when you walk out of here. That's all right. Y'all can come back over the next couple of weeks and we'll build you up and edify you. But I'm going to finish this, this series today called Despicable Me. And uh, as you can tell by the title, it's not one of those uh, make me feel good messages. Because last week what I did is I pointed you to a passage of Scripture in which Paul reveals an inward struggle that takes place in his life. There's some in- inward turmoil, if you will, that exists in him between, in this this fight between good and evil that resides not only in Paul, but it resides in all of us. And he, he shares that, and he begins to talk. It's an intriguing description, and one that I believe most of us probably comprehend and understand and can relate to, because what all of us want to do is we all want to do good. Anyway, everybody in here want to do good? I mean, you don't wake up in the morning most of the time saying, Man, I want to be bad. We just, you know, I want to kill somebody and end up on death row. I, I want to go out and get drunk. I want to become a drug addict and throw my life away. I want to be a prostitute and stand on a corner and sell myself for $5. Most of us never say that. So we don't get up in the morning saying, well, I want to be bad. What we get up in the morning and say, I want to be the best me I can be. I want to be good. The problem is, is that for most of us, instead, what we do is we, we kind of succumb to the depths of darkness that resides in us at times. So let's listen to Paul's struggle again in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Listen to what Paul's saying. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Anybody ever been there? And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. Jeremiah, long before Paul was ever on the scene, talks about our heart. You'll remember the description that, I read to you from Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 last week because what it does is it exposes the despicable nature of our inward being. Hear it again. It says in the Message Bible, The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. And then in the New International Version it says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The writers are basically saying to us, We're despicable. When you get right down to it, when you get to the bottom line, as good as we try to be and as good as we long to be, the reality is is that most of us are pretty despicable. Left our own devices, the depravity that has invaded our heart when our first father, Adam, fell is so deceptively dark that if we're not careful, we give in to the darkness of our heart. You remember last week I pointed you to uh, tiger texting. You remember that? I told you there's a new application out for the iPhone birthed by Tiger Woods, a fiasco that allows people to send text and it never really goes onto your phone. You can even give it a countdown that you only have 60 seconds to read it, read it and it deletes itself and nobody will ever know that you're cheating on your spouse. And I begin to wonder, well, what shows our depravity worse than that? And I was, I was doing what guys do. Guys, amen me real loud. I had the remote. And what guys do is we watch 90 shows at once. Have you all figured that out? So I'm channel surfing and I'm coming across this channel and I see a a television reporter there interviewing a guy on the steps of what looked like a a, a municipal building. I I wasn't sure what was going on. And vaguely I kind of figured out who he was. I thought I knew the reporter, but I wasn't sure because he was kind of out of the normal confines that you see him in. And as I began to listen to him interview the guy, I figured out who it was. It was the reporter that does the shows called To Catch a Predator. Y'all seen that one? I think that's what it's called. He sets up video cameras, hidden video cameras in a house, and they put uh, adults posing as 13-year-old boys and girls on the Internet, and they try to lure in Internet predators. You've seen it. And the guys walk in, and all of a sudden there's cameras everywhere, and they're embarrassed. Well, that was who this reporter was, except he wasn't set up in a house. And as I begin to watch a little longer, he began to explain what had happened the night before they had done what they always do. They set up in a house and uh, they, they lured this gentleman in looking for a 13-year-old boy and he showed up at the house completely nude and walks into the house nude. That's bad enough. You know how it goes down. He interviews him for a few minutes, which blows my mind that they would would even talk on camera but most of them sit there and talk on camera and then they leave the house and the cops jump on them and they arrest them. Well apparently this guy had made bail. I guess they give him an opportunity to make bail. He interviewed him he left, he was arrested and now he's interviewing him again on the steps of a public library because not only did he respond last night now that he's been arrested and made bail he has responded again and is showing up the next morning at a library to find a 13 year old boy that was supposedly on the internet inviting him to the library and the reporter says to this guy, caught my attention he said to him you keep telling me that last night was the first time you'd ever done anything like this and now here you are again the next day on the steps of this library, why should we believe that you will never do this again and the guy says because you can trust me, I promise you I will never do this again. Can I just tell you this morning, we're despicable. There is a real struggle that goes on within in us and inside of us, and it is a real struggle, and it is in it is ongoing, and it is a reality that I want to do right, but I don't do right, I do wrong. So I told you that God is basically given us two doses or two prescriptions and I called them shots because they're painful and I declared to you last week that the first way that God has prescribed that we deal with our despicable condition is a prescription called repentance We don't hear much about repentance anymore, but the first step to approaching God and dealing with the despicable nature that lives within us is we must first come to this place where we repent. And to do that, we have to acknowledge that we need to repent. We need to recognize that repentance is not just for sinners. And therefore we must repent on a daily basis and we must repent thoroughly and we must repent sincerely. I hope through the course of this week, every day your prayer life has been marked by a spirit of repentance. Where you ask God, clean me, make me whole. But there is a second dose. I told you last week that repentance is important because our personal revival and our national revival is contingent upon whether or not Christians repent. It's not based upon whether sinners repent. It's based on whether Christians repent. And so we got to get that element right. But there is a second shot. Shots are painful. You would think that the first shot of repentance would be the most painful of all shots, and we would avoid that shot at all costs, and we wouldn't want to repent, and we would try to get away because... When we recognize that we're standing bare, if you will, exposed in front of the God of the universe that has the ability with one blink of His eye to completely and utterly destroy us, you would think that we would avoid the shot of repentance at all costs. But the reality is is that most of us at some point in our life have come to this place where we're willing to repent but we're not willing to take the second shot because we are convinced that the second shot is more painful than the first. Because the second shot that God prescribes to deal with our sin nature, uh, we don't like this one, is confession. I see, I see, I see, uh-huh. I figured that would happen. I just want to let it sink in a second because some of you are already tightening it all up. We don't like the concept of confession. We don't want anybody to know that we've got problems. We are, we are intrigued by the struggle that Paul describes in Romans chapter 7, but we fail to recognize that in essence what Paul is doing is he's making a public confession of his own faults. That's what he's doing. Paul is so brave that he's willing to, in writing, most of us won't say it with our mouth, much less put it in writing. He is verbally and writing his own confession, saying, I'm having struggles, I'm having issues. He's confessing his faults. James picks up on that concept in James chapter 5, verse 16. Listen to what James says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Listen to what it says in the message Bible. I love this translation. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a prayer, a prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned. With. The writer says to make our common practice confession. But when I start talking about confessing your faults and your sins to one another, you know what happens? It's like I'm standing up here speaking in a foreign language, and you have no comprehension of what I am trying to describe to you because that is such a foreign idea and concept to us that we don't understand confession. We resist confession there are a couple reasons i believe we can we kind of shy away from this prescription the first is our pride uh, i told you this wasn't going to be a fun series <laughs> i warned you so here we go see i'm convinced that we are so concerned about keeping up appearances that we would rather risk lack of forgiveness and healing from god than to let anyone know that we're struggling with something I didn't figure I'd get any amens, but it's still true. It's like we're more afraid of people than we are of God. I don't understand that. I'm more afraid of you finding out my faults than I am with God finding out my faults when God, if he wanted to, could destroy me just like that. And all you can do is talk about me. But I would rather fake you out than to let you know that I've got issues. And so we avoid confession to our own demise. I've heard this battle that goes on within us because of our pride. We we begin to say things like this. Someone might think less of me. I'll get back to that in just a second. Someone may think, I really don't have it all together. Can I give you a newsflash this morning? None of us think you got it together anyway, and most of us can't think any less of you than we already do. And here's why it's part of the problem. We're trained to think less of you than we should. I, in fact, I, uh, I, let me just talk about Steve. Steve's been trained to think the worst about you. Uh, y'all don't look at me like that. Y'all believe the same thing about me and, and every other leader and everybody around you because we've been trained by our society that everybody's hiding something and nobody's what they appear to be and everybody's sleeping with somebody. They always say everybody's doing it. Somebody's drinking somewhere. Somebody's do, they, They're not right. And so we newsflash, let me just take the weight off your shoulders. We can't think any less of you than we already do, which is wrong, by the way. But it's a reality. And so what I am trying to say to you is that we should not allow our pride to keep us from accessing the benefit of healing because our healing is contingent upon our confession. Pride, according to Scripture, comes before a fall. Pride keeps us bound and it keeps us sick. We're too proud for our own good. Who are we trying to impress? We say that we want God's approval, but we act like man's approval is paramount to us. It's real quiet in this holy house. I understand. We don't want anybody to know that we screw up and we mess up, and there are days we don't act like we should. Okay. The second issue that keeps us from accessing this shot is that we fear being vulnerable. We've been trained to never let anybody see a sweat. We have been trained to fake it until we make it and not let anybody know that we're vulnerable. We hate coming off as weak. We're taught that if we confess our faults, then what people will do is they will use them against us and we become vulnerable. The only problem is, is that the, the truth is, is that the only thing that can be used against us is the hidden thing. Because once we confess our faults to one another, there's no more leverage. There's no more jockeying for position. There's no more ammunition. Once we confess our faults to one another, we're all on an equal footing and we know that we're all going through this together. And we're no longer vulnerable. So the only way that we remain vulnerable is to hide. Our fear of vulnerability reveals the epidemic that Christians have fallen into. We have there's an epidemic sweeping Christianity of I can't trust you. Uh, there's an old song. You'll know this song. I, I I wished I could sing, I'd sing it for you. You'll, you'll know it by the words. It's well, some of you will, some of you weren't born when this show was popular, but my age, we know it. It goes like this. Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where? Where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want This is why. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. When you read those words what I have come to the conclusion is that ought to be the theme song of the church. That's, if we were going to sing a theme song about Christianity, that ought to be the song that we could sing. But instead, it's the theme song about a place where people either come under the influence of the atmosphere of the environment or they come under the influence of alcohol and therefore they are able at that moment to share all their problems, confess all their sins to a stranger who is slinging drinks at them. That ought to be the description of the house of God and the relationships that we develop here that we can come and enjoy each other's company and we get to know one another and we become vulnerable to one another and instead we're so afraid of one another that we won't tell anybody that I had a bad thought, I said a bad word, I went to a bad place. So what we do is we come Sunday after Sunday and we stare at the back of each other's heads. We never get to know one another. We never expose our, our issues to one another, our faults to one another, our our dilemmas to one another, and we continue to live a despicable life. And I am declaring to you this morning, as I have in the past, this has to change. We must quit acting like something we are not. We must come to this place where we quit fearing one another and this This slogan that we've been using over the last year and a half for our small groups, our pods, which says life together better must be more than a slogan and more than a catchy saying and more than something we put on programs and posters. It's got to become a reality to us to where we understand that the only way that we're ever going to make it through our despicable condition is together. So how and why? should we confess. I am convinced that confession is an in, indispensable part of Christians, a Christian's life because it produces four very crucial results in our individual lives. Hear me this morning. If you don't confess your faults to somebody, you miss out on four very crucial elements to your walk with Christ. The first one is humility. I just want to go on record by, this morning and by saying this before you and before everybody. We all could use a heaping dose of humility. Every one of us. Scripture confronts our pride. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says this, Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. When we confess our faults one to another, when I look you square in the eyes and say, you know what, even though I'm the pastor, there are still days that I don't live like I want to live, and there are still moments when I do things I don't want to do. When I look you square in the eyes and say that, can I tell you what happens immediately? Humility. I realize I'm not all that in the back of chips, and neither are you. Strut around like you've always been as cleaned up as you are right now. But the reality is, is all of us need a heaping dose of humility to understand that but by the grace of God, there go I. Humility is a willingness to be known and estimated according to our real character. While we are unwilling to confess, we have no humility at all. Claim to be humble all you want, but if you're not confessing your faults to somebody, you're not humble. Well, that went over huge. Nothing is more directly calculated to deepen, perpetuate, and perfect humility than a full and frequent confession of our faults. We want people to think we've always been this nice. Can I tell you that confession, what it does is it brings us to a place of humility and in turn it makes us human again. It makes us touchable again. Some of us are so holy that nobody can even touch us. But I'm telling you the reality is, is we're not that holy. We're trying to live that way. We're trying to get there, but we need humility to recognize that if we don't stay humble, nobody can even approach us. In fact, they're probably scared of us. The second thing that happens when we confess is it brings about connectedness. Our lack of confession reveals one of the greatest plagues of this generation. Hear me. The greatest plague of this generation, I am convinced, is this. Shallowness of relationship. See, the truth is I don't really know you and you don't really know me. And we like it like that. See, I can't get past the wall of the surface because what we do is we get together and we go, how's the weather? How's your car driving? How's work going? Did you have a good day? What about the hard questions? What about the real questions? Like, have you been struggling lately? Have you read your Bible lately? How's your marriage going? No, we we settle for surface level and there's no connectedness between us and so we don't really know each other and we hold one another at arm's length and know nothing about one another and therefore we are disconnected. And I came to tell you that we're not designed or intended to live separated. We were designed and, and created to live connected with one another we are commanded to bear one another's burdens how can I bear your burdens if all I know is that it snowed at your house how can I bear your burdens if all I know from you is I'm too blessed to be distressed how am I supposed to bear your burdens with you if all I know about you is is that God is better to me than I deserve. That's what we do. And then we don't know diddly squat about one another, and then we struggle. Lack of confession breaks connection. Confession connects us at the strongest level of relationship. You will never be tighter with anybody in your whole life than with somebody that you confess your faults to. Because if they still love you after that, I got news for you. Then what you have is you have an individual that cares for your soul. If they leave you, when they find out how jacked up you are, they didn't really love you anyway. And so we're never more connected with people than those people that know our faults and our issues. Who here handles your soul? Who here? Setting under the sound of my voice, sitting next to you, sitting three rows up from you, sitting across the room from you. Who here handles your soul? Because if there's nobody that is handling your soul, then you are in danger of faking Christianity. That brings us to the third thing that confession brings about. It brings about accountability. See, what confession promotes is Watchfulness. Confessing our sins to one another has this strong tendency, if you will, to put us on guard against repeating our sins. See, I'm not as likely to repeat the sin that I've been falling into if I know that the next time I walk into the lobby of Passion Church, you're going to look at me and say, hey, did you do this this week? Confession makes us stronger, by the way doesn't make you weaker, it makes you stronger. Because at the moment, out of my mouth, I confess my faults, and somebody takes me up on that, and the next time they see me, they say, did you do this, did you do that? That makes you stronger, because if you know they're going to ask you, you will kill yourself not to do it again. The reason that most of us live a repeating pattern of sin is we haven't confessed to anybody, so there's nobody that is holding us accountable. We're anonymous. We can live anywhere we want to live, go anywhere we want to go, watch whatever we want to watch, go on any site on the Internet we want to, and nobody knows about it, so we think that we're anonymous and that we're invisible, and nobody's holding our feet to the fire. We need to hold one another accountable for our actions. And the only way that we do that is through confession. We become allies in the fight against sin when we learn to confess. You're not supposed to fight sin on your own. You were never intended to fight sin by yourself. You were supposed to have brothers and sisters in the faith helping you walk out this thing called Christianity, but we cannot do it if we don't know what you're struggling with. And the fourth thing that confession does is that confession brings healing. Our healing is contingent upon confession. I find it very interesting the two passages of Scripture that we always point to when we want to emphasize prayer, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, if my people who are called by my name, y'all know the rest of it, but I'll skip to the part we like, then I'll hear from heaven and heal their land. We skip right over the first shot of repentance, which is to turn from our evil ways. Oh yeah, we need to pray, we need to pray, yeah, we need to pray, we need to pray and repent is what we really need to do. So the first shot deals or this first passage of Scripture that we emphasize prayer deals with repentance. But the second passage of Scripture you can always get people to quote when you want to talk to them about prayer is James chapter 5, verse 16. The effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Man, I learned that when I was a kid. They forgot to teach me the first part. Because the first part reveals shot number two, which is, The reason my prayers are effective is because we sat around and confessed our faults to one another and we helped each other be humble and we helped each other be accountable and we were connected and so now out of that I can pray for you and healing comes. We don't like that part of that verse of scripture. I kind of like the end part. If you're righteous then you can pray and your prayers are powerful. Yeah, when you confess. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 comes along and it addresses this concept even further because it says people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But, hear this, if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. What we would do is if we were writing this, we would put whiteout over if they will confess and just leave it as the turn from them. It's a two-shot prescription. We repent. And we confess. Confession is absolutely indispensable when it comes to forgiveness and healing. Andy Stanley said it like this. He said, the reason you fear the consequences of confession is because you've yet to realize the consequences of concealment. What you hide. I'm going to repeat something I've said before. and You can probably say it with me, but. What you hide, He cannot heal. What you cover, He cannot cleanse. And so it requires not only repentance, it requires confession. Now, here's the $64 million question. To whom should we confess? Because <laughs> you've got to be careful now. I ain't teaching you to go out here and get you a billboard and say, I sinned this week. No, there, there is a pattern here. There are two groups of people that we should confess to. I wanna, I'm trying to help you this morning. We've got to confess, but we've got to know who to confess to. The first group of people that I've taught you about in the past, I want to repeat it this morning so that we're clear on this again, is that we must confess to those we have wronged. If your sin, if your actions, if your lifestyle impacts somebody else, then according to Scripture, you are required to confess to who you hurt. We don't like that either, by the way. We'd tear that chapter out too. I don't like that one either. Then just get over it. No. No. We are required to go and ask the people that we hurt for forgiveness by confessing to them our faults. So that's the first group, to those we've wronged. But who do we deal with when we're dealing with just our general faults and our general sins, and it's not about an issue of me hurting somebody, but it's, it's a battle in my life and I need somebody to confess to. Can I help you out a whole lot right now? We are supposed to confess, confess to those who will pray. Pray. That's the stipulation James gives. He says, confess your faults to one another, and then you do that to people who have the ability to pray. In other words, what he's saying, unfortunately, is that this stipulation narrows down for us who we confess to don't go out and tell everybody all your faults. Y'all, y'all know the old saying, loose lips sink ships? Yeah, they do. You don't go out and just broadcast your sin to everybody, no. James says that we're going to narrow this field down to people who know how to pray. In other words, I don't confess my faults to people who like to gossip. I don't, like to, I don't confess my faults to people who like to spread rumors. I don't confess my faults to people who want to feel important and, and store all that up so at the right moment they can drop this little piece of hint and this little hint and this little innuendo and make themselves feel like an important person. I don't confess to those people. I confess to people who know how to pray. So we got to seek out people whose lives are marked as people of prayer. Now, I'm going to ask you a question this morning that should cut you to your very core. Because it has me all week, so I finally get to share it with you. This question right here should cut you and make you reevaluate your life right now. Are you ready? Here's the question Are you confession worthy? Are you, not your neighbor, not the person sitting in front of you, Not your spouse. Are you confession worthy? If somebody in this room is having a battle with deep, dark sin, are you worthy? Is your life so marked by an attitude of prayer that they could trust you enough to come up and say, I stayed up late last night. Looking at things I shouldn't have looked at. I I went on a binge last weekend. I, I thought I had the habit kicked, but now I find myself and I've made a dark mistake. Are you that kind of person? If you're not, we need you to become that kind of person. If we're going to become what God has called this house I'm still in the house series. I'm just calling it a bunch of different stuff. If if we are going to be the house that God has called us to be, then we have to be a group of individuals that the deepest, darkest sinner in Oklahoma City could walk through those doors, come in, pull us to the side and say, I just did such, 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 such. And we go, you know what, brother? I understand. And I'm not going to tell us so. What I am going to do is I'm going to Bust heaven wide open, praying for you. Are you confession worthy? I think you ought to test folks. I think you ought to share a little bit and see if they can handle it. You might even want to make something up just see if it spreads. No, seriously. Seriously. You ought to test folks. And if they prove trustworthy, can I tell you what you ought to do? You ought to throw a party. Because if they test out and they're trustworthy, can I tell you what you found? You have found a treasure. Because what you found is you found somebody that cares for your soul. They got your back. And that kind of relationship is the kind of relationship that we should be a part of and that we should be extending to other people. And if we don't, then we will walk around here despicable till Jesus comes back. We've got to repent. The first dose comes in that order because we repent to God because only God can forgive us of our sins. But there is a second dose that we like to ignore that we need to go back to and understand and it is the dose of confession where I bring myself down off my own pedestal and I confess my faults and I confess my sins and in so doing I grab hold of healing. And So this morning I want us to pray and then we're going to let you go but I'll say this. Some of you may need to confess. Some of you in here probably have hurt somebody. You are bound by scripture to go and confess to them and ask their forgiveness. There are others in here that you need to confess your faults and your sins because it will make you humble, because it will hold you accountable, because it will connect you, and because it will bring healing to your life. And so in order to do that, you have to find somebody that's trustworthy, trustworthy. And so what I want us to pray this morning is I want us to pray that if we need to confess, we will. But I also want us to pray that we will each find somebody that we can trust with our soul. And then the last thing I'm going to pray is this. I'm going to pray that we become a congregation of people that are confession worthy. Did you hear me? We need to do self-examination this week and discover and purpose in our hearts that we are going to be confession worthy. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, the truth that I have spoken over the last couple of weeks has been a painful truth. we come to grips with the fact this morning that we need to repent daily thoroughly sincerely try me and see oh god search the cavities of my heart that find the darkness the depravity that still exists within me the sin nature that continues to struggle against the nature that you've placed in me God I pray in the name of Jesus I repent right now and I pray that every person here would become a person of repentance I pray that we would be the best repenters But father there's a second dose and for some reason in our minds We've convinced ourselves that it's more painful than the first. So, Father, this morning I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. There are some folks sitting here that need to confess. They've wronged somebody. They've hurt somebody. And they've said that's their fault. That's their problem, not mine. They'll just have to get over it. No, Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus right now, you would cause us to come to this place where we learn that we are obligated our healing depends on it to confess so Father I pray that we would purpose in our hearts this morning to confess to those that we've wronged but I also pray Father that you would allow this congregation of believers to become a people that will confess to one another their faults I don't want to go to church where all I know about somebody is that the weather at their house is nice I just don't want to know the, con- the 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 roles in the back of their head. God, I want you to connect us at a deeper level, at the deepest level, where we're actually guarding one another's souls. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. So, Father, I'm asking you for this congregation that we would become a people that are willing to confess. We would become vulnerable. We would decrease our pride and we would confess our faults one to another and become real again that we would become the answer to that song we would be a better answer than a bar could ever be that we would come together and we would recognize that our troubles are all the same so we can talk to one another openly and honestly now God here's the kicker in order for that to happen you got to do something in us you got to make us confession worthy for some of us that means you need to shut our mouths because we like to talk too much for some of us that means you need to deal with our insecurity issues because we like to get information so that we can feel important I'm asking you to make us confession worthy so that any one of us could go to any one of the other ones of us and confess the deepest, darkest, nastiest, most despicable sin and without batting an eye and without picking up a cell phone and without going on Facebook and what we instead would do would fall to our knees and we would begin to lift one another up in prayer. Why? So that healing will come. I'm asking you, oh God, to give us people that will care for our souls. If we're not going to be that kind of body, if we're not going to be that kind of group, Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you'd shut this thing down. And I've prayed a, a number of times, God asking you to help us build this thing. I'm asking you to stop it. Let the money dry up. Let the people disappear if we're not going to connect at this level because I can go look at somebody's head and worship anywhere but I need people that care so much about me and mine that I can't scare them away by how human I am and how real I am Perfect, I am. I refuse to allow them to put me on a pedestal, and I will not put them on a pedestal. We are in this together. That's my prayer today. In Jesus' name, Mike. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, You can't live without passion.